0: What we read here in the Gospel of Luke is Jesus' response when his disciples ask him to teach them how to pray. And uh, I want to kind of give you just a little bit different view of what he is saying here, because we're prone to take these several different parts individually and not understand that Jesus was teaching his disciples one teaching about prayer. And so it all goes together from beginning to the end. And so uh, uh, the main thing that I want you to see about all of this is that you can sum everything I'm going to say up today in three words, identity, priorities, and trust. That's what prayer's all about. Identity, priorities, and trust. First of all, identity. Uh, Jesus told us, as we looked at last week when we pray, to pray our Father. Not just Father, but our Father. And he was saying that, and so he's saying it, Along with us, he prayed to our Father, and he tells us to pray to our Father and his Father. And so, and we talked about this last week also, to pray in Jesus' name, you pray out of your position as a child of God. Now, that is not an all-inclusive term. Some people think, well, we're just all children of God. God wants us all to be His children, but there's only one way to become His child, and uh, Jesus tells us that in uh, John, it, well John tells us this is the beginning of His gospel in John one twelve through thirteen. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. That's pretty exclusive. To those who received him, who received what he did on the cross for them, who received what he said, those are the ones who are given the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And then, uh, uh, so anyway, so the first thing is our father. We pray from the position of a beloved child, a beloved child who is a part of the family of God, a part of a family that uh, is the that has the most loving, patient and good father in all creation and beyond. So that's number one, our identity. We pray as a child of a loving and wonderful and good heavenly Father. No matter what your children or no matter what yeah yeah no matter what your children are like, no matter what your father may have been like in this world, your heavenly Father is good. Number two, priorities. The one who prayed this prayer. And taught us to pray our father. Whenever he disappeared, when he was 12 years old in Jerusalem, do you remember what he told his parents? And he said to them, why did you look for me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? All the way through his life, we see that Jesus was about his father's business. Have you noticed that? Now, he uses the term business, and I think that's pretty cool. Whenever you stop and think about it, uh, we are in a family business as brothers and sisters in Christ. Did you know that? We're in one family and we have a job. We have a business that we are a part of. And so because of that, we need to make sure that our priorities line up with God's so whatever he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then he goes on and he makes it clear what his number one priority is. And we're going to get to that. So uh, you need to line up your will with his, your priorities with his because of who he is and the fact that you're his child. Uh, when I was growing up in Cleveland, Texas, There was about 5,600 people when I was a kid. Just a little place. You could know just about everybody in town. My two grandfathers, my mom's father and my dad's father, were two of the pioneers in the town. One was the first pharmacist in town. The other was the first contractor, building contractor in town. Everybody knew my grandparents. Everybody sure knew my grandfather's. And uh, they were some of the most generous and benevolent people that you would ever know. And they were respected highly in the town because of that. And I was their grandson. And you know what? They both loved me a lot. And they showed me their love in so many ways. I never wanted to disappoint them. And I never wanted to uh, bring disgrace to the family name because of who they were and because of who I was and connects with them. If I was somebody else's kid in another family, I could have cared less about the McMahons or the Lindleys, you know, but this that's who I was. And we are children of God. And we have a big brother who's been working really hard in the family business, you know, uh, now, I grew up also working at my dad's service station, full service. We we sold auto parts. We washed cars and lumber trucks and all sorts of things there. Changed tires, all of it. Uh, anyway, did minor tune up. We did all sorts of stuff there. But all the stuff that I did there, I felt a tremendous sense of responsibility If I put a tire on wrong and it flew off of a car because I didn't tighten it up properly, it'd be my responsibility that somebody died. If I hooked up a trailer wrong and it uh, came loose while somebody's good, no telling what sort of damage I could do in the world. And so I had to always be aware that I had a responsibility for other people. And also it reflected on my family it reflected on our bread and butter. And if I didn't treat people right, uh, it was going to reflect on our business. And I wanted to make sure that we kept on having uh, food on the table. And so for all these different reasons, family was important. Family business was important. And so uh, when people look at you, think about this. They know your family they know your brothers and sisters in Christ. And what you do brings either honor or dishonor or disgrace to your heavenly father and to your sisters and your brothers. So that's number two, priorities. Number three, clear your accounts receivable list. He talks about And uh, and some people just they'll look at why in the world did he stick that in the middle of all this? It was going along just fine till we got to where we're talking about forgiveness. I mean, this forgiveness stuff, why is it even in there? Let me tell you why. It's the heart of your family's business. Have you ever thought about that? That's what our business is all about as brothers and sisters in Christ. Our logo is the cross. You see that the number one priority that we have is forgiveness. And if you're not forgiven in your own heart, you haven't really stepped into the family and started being a part of the family yet. That's why Jesus stuck that right there in the middle, because if you're not doing it in your own heart, all the rest of this stuff that you're saying doesn't even matter because you're not concerned about the family business. Ah, our big brother sacrificed tremendously for the family business. He cleared out, you know what our, our, and our business is, isn't debt elimination. It, it's, it's, it's not, uh, debt reduction. Our family business is debt, debt elimination. He went to the cross to eliminate so much of your debt. Have you ever thought about that? That's that's why he went to the cross, to eliminate what you owed because of what you had done. So you've got debt elimination going on there. Like I said, the cross is our logo. The cross is important in our family business. Our big brother sacrificed his whole life clearing out more debt than anyone else in the world. And the reason why he did it was because of love. He loves his heavenly father. He loves our heavenly father. He loves us. And he loves those who haven't even come and become a part of the family yet. Now, you see, our family doesn't hold grudges. You see that? You can't hold grudges and be a member in good standing of our family. So let me ask you something. Who is it that owes you something? Who is it that owes you a debt? Maybe it's an apology. Maybe it's restitution of some sort. Maybe it's a a compensation for something they took from you in some shape, form, or fashion. Well, today's the day to get about our family business. You haven't really become a part of the family until you realize this. So, priorities, identity, clear your account's receivable list, and then trust, trust, trust. This is the most important thing. He uh, gives a good example here of a grumpy neighbor who uh, uh, you go to him and it's late at night and everybody's in bed. And the house is all locked up and the, the security system's been turned on and there's not anybody going to be getting in or out. And uh, you're asking for some loaves of bread. And he said, he might not give you the bread just because he's a good neighbor. But uh, because he wants you to leave him alone, he'll go ahead and take care of you just so you'll go away and stop bothering him. Now, some people take that to mean that you're supposed to wart God incessantly about what you want. And that's not what's going on here. It's just the opposite. He's saying it's the same as with fathers. Remember, he's going to say further on down, if you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your father, how much more will your father in heaven give to you? Now, this is the same sort of an example. It's a negative example. you got a grumpy neighbor that's going to give you something even though he doesn't want to. But the one that you're going to be praying to is a heavenly father who knows what you need even before you ask and who delights and spoiling his kids, who loves his kids. So uh, in verses 5 through 8, he makes it clear that even a self-centered narcissist will give you uh, what you asked for if it's more convenient for them to make you go away. And so he's telling us to pray in faith, trusting. And there are a lot of people that pray trying to convince God. And why are they trying to convince him? Why would they be trying to convince God? Because they didn't think that he really wanted to do the right thing. What else could it be? And so there are a lot of people that are praying for things that they know that their heavenly father wants them to have. They're praying for lost people that they know their heavenly father wants to come into the kingdom. They're praying for provision that they know that their heavenly father wants them to have, but they pray with fear in their heart because they're afraid that maybe he'll say no. He's saying, trust him, pray in faith. And this is just it. You see, you pray in faith, trusting. This is more than a formula. And I have heard people take this passage and turn it into a formula. If you do this, 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 and this, then God must do this because this is what he promised. That's what the scribes and Pharisees did. They tried to manipulate God by his promises. Now his promises are true. His promises are are wonderful, but it's not about you taking them and using them to manipulate God whom you cannot manipulate. He's made you those promises to reassure you that he cares for you and that he wants good for you. And uh, so uh, it's more than a formula. When he says, and I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, to him who knocks it shall be opened. Not might be opened, shall be opened. Yes, this is a promise, and it's a promise for you, and it's a promise for me, and you need to receive it even before you pray. So, if you're going to make this into a formula, it would be pray in God's will, pray in Jesus' name, uh, make sure that uh, you aren't harboring any, any bitterness in your heart, and be persistent. Uh, that's not what it's about. It's not if you do those things, God will answer your prayer. You see, it's about relationship and uh, A husband and wife. I don't know how many times I've had husbands and wives come in where they just couldn't understand what was wrong in their marriage. You know, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Why is it she appreciative? I'm doing my best to be a good housewife. And so I'm tired. I don't have time to do whatever he wants me to do. And so they wind up trying to be the best husband and the best wife that they know how to be. And they're living out of roles instead of a relationship. And it's so important that you never let roles get in way of relationship. Yes, he is God. Yes, you are his child, but it's a love relationship. Thinking about this, I, I remembered a story I read not, not long ago about a wife, uh, who was just furious because her husband forgot her birthday. And he came home that night. and He didn't have not one thing with him. She was livid. And she said, buddy, I'll tell you this. First thing in the morning, my present be better be sitting out there in the driveway. And it better be sleek. And it better be beautiful. And it, may, it, may, it, it better go from zero to 260 in six seconds. Well, he left the house. And the next morning, she looked out, and there in the driveway was a package. And she thought, what is this? And she went out there, and she opened the package, and there was the most beautiful, sleekest-looking set of bathroom scales you've ever seen. The man's been missing since Friday. (laughs) thing is and this this is one of those negative illustrations just like jesus gave two of them the thing is you see that's not really a relationship that wasn't a love relationship because you see uh he did the best he could right i mean he gave her exactly what she said she wanted but somehow he missed the point didn't he Aren't you glad God doesn't take us out when we miss the point and get it wrong? But he's a loving God and he doesn't do stuff like that. He wants us to be in a love relationship with him. Uh, So this is where we're now going to get to the heart of what we're really talking about today. We have a good heavenly father who will always give you the best. And that's why I don't know if you've noticed that this in, in the gospel of Matthew, it says, uh, if you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. In Luke, it says, uh, if you then being evil, let me get this right. If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give not good gifts, but here he says the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And some people read that and they get really discombobulated because they're scared to death of the Holy Spirit. They're kind of like the uh, young lady that uh, in my church in Maud, they had added on a back to it too. But anyway, it was very, very dark. It was a dark, long hallway. They added fellowship on the hall on the other side. So it was very, very dark. And one time I heard two kids talking and uh, one of them said, I'm going to go to such and such a room. And they say, oh, don't go back there. The Holy Ghost will get you. <laughs> and that's about the way some people think about the Holy Spirit. They don't want to go there. They, you may be figuratively want to stick your fingers in your ears as I'm talking about the Holy Spirit right now. But this is just it. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It is the conduit. He is the conduit uh, through which God does everything he does in the world. And so this is a big thing. You see, when you pray to God, you're not praying to uh, uh, someone who is way, way off somewhere, just sitting on a throne and has no connection with us. He doesn't just toss down answers from on high. Instead, he says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He sends his person, his conduit, the same power as we spoke about last week that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. He has sent that power not to just be with you, but to be in you. He sends a part of himself to be with us. That's how he answers prayer. It is so personal. It's not just zinging things out like that from somewhere on high. He comes and he is with us. He is the promise of the Father. All the promises that he keeps are kept through the promise of the Father, who is the Holy Spirit. In John fourteen twenty three, 23, we rehear Jesus say these words as he was preparing his disciples for his departure. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him. And another place says, and I will love him. And we will come and make our home with him. Make our abode in Him. It says in some other translations, the Holy Spirit. The word is that there is uh, parakletos, and it means one who is called alongside. Whenever uh, Jesus uh, or whenever the God said in the Old Testament, "Call upon Me, and I will answer you," this is how He answers. He comes alongside. He comes right up to you. It's very personal. It's not like he's way off somewhere else. He comes to you. He's called the advocate. He helps interpret what we need to the Father because he's right here with us. He's called our helper. And so you see, he's not one who's way, way. And he's also called the comforter. All three of those things. And so it's not long distance. It's not like you're in one place and you have to send a telegram home asking your heavenly father to send you some cash. And then you get it back by Western Union. He hands it to you. It's like that. It's personal. You meet with him face to face and heart to heart. He is with you. And the Holy Spirit works for you. He works in you. He works with you. And uh, it's just uh, it's just incredible all the different ways that he he works in Romans eight twenty eight, It says he were and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. It is through the power of his Holy Spirit that he miraculously causes that to happen in your life and my life. It's where sometimes it just surprises the bejabbers out of us that he did it. Uh, I can think of so many times that... uh, he uh, was just he, he made ways for me to hear things, hear discussions that made the difference in whether my life would continue the way it was supposed to live or not. Uh, I don't have time to tell you about all my these different things. He works in you. He gives you what you need in order to understand a situation. Sometimes he just gives you a peace and reassures you that everything's going to be OK. He'll reveal to you a growing edge in your spiritual walk that you need to start working on. And then he'll help you to work on it. He works through you. I don't know how many times I've just started taking the steps, knowing I was supposed to do something and not know how in the world God was going to bring it about, but just knowing that somehow it was going to work. And it did. Marriages were saved. Uh, people got jobs. I would just start taking the steps to help and the helper would be working with me, in me and through me. And miraculous things would happen. Um, I'm, I'm I just can't. I wish I could tell you more, but I'm just going to close by telling you a little bit about George Washington Carver, because he was a man who lived close to God. George Washington Carver was a scientist and as you recall he developed hundreds of useful products from the peanut and he said when I was young I asked God to tell me the ministry of the I asked God to tell me the mystery of the universe but God answered that knowledge is reserved for me alone so I said God tell me the mystery of the peanut and then God said Well, George, that's more nearly your size. And he told me, and yes, he did. Over a period of 10 days after uh, George Carver prayed for the Lord to share with him, to open up the mysteries of the peanut, he came out with 300 products. Later on, he said this. As I worked on projects which fulfilled a real human need, forces were working through me, which amazed me. I would often go to sleep with an apparently insoluble problem. When I woke, the answer was there. Why then should we who believe in Christ be so surprised at what, can, at what God can do with a willing man in a laboratory? some things must be baffling to the critic who has never been born again. The Holy Spirit is what God gives in answer to prayer. It is so personal. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.